welcome to Speak Up, Speak Out, the Ethics Matter podcast. I'm your host, Charmaine Roche. Good morning, Viv Grant. Good morning, Charmaine. <laughs> Lovely to be with you this morning. It is. It's a real pleasure. Um, it's kind of interesting times to be having a conversation like this. Yes. Um, yes we're all in lockdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, schools are closed other than being open for essential the children of essential mm-hmm. workers mm-hmm. Um, but I don't get the impression that the levels of um, how should I put it I was going to say stress and anxiety in the profession have mm-hmm. not reduced um, <laughs> but I don't just mean that because that sounds mm-hmm. too negative because I think mm-hmm. it's also Teachers are very committed, aren't they? And almost definitely, yes. School leaders immensely committed to mm. their work, their vocation, mm. and it's it's this the level of it's that level of commitment actually that that almost feverish mm. level yes. of commitment that I'm feeling yes. on yes. the platforms where I have connection, you know, yes. Twitter, yeah, uh-huh. mainly. Yeah. Um, what's your feeling of the mood? I think I'm, I'd be in agreement with you, Charmaine. I think the mood is also in terms of I was speaking to, um, well, speaking email communication with the head of my son's secondary school um, mm. just during the lockdown and just when schools were being told that, um, you know, what, what was going to happen and what they were going to have to do. Mm. And the sense that I got, particularly from him, was this real sense that we've never been here before. Mm. there's no handbook for this Mm. we didn't do this on the mpqh (laughs) and you know and then a real sense of actually well i've got to draw my own resources for this because no one knows Mm. and then a real sense of actually having pulling out all the stops and i have to say i I thought my son's school were absolutely amazing in terms of not only support for the pupils, but support for parents. Mm. But then a real sense, once the Easter break came, and they did take an Easter break, uh, yeah. my school, a sense, actually, we've been doing a lot of this ourselves. Mm. Actually, we've been, we're all fighting on the ground, really trying to do our best. Mm. But actually, what I got from him was an overriding sense of actually isolation. Yes, having all your Twitter platforms, mm. But this whole sense, actually, we've still got to be social distancing and we've still actually very much within our own communities Mm. really having to sort of move in the dark, as it were, and find our own way forward. So, Mm. yeah, that's that's a very sort of, I suppose, intimate and personal because Mm. I know my, you know, the head of my son's secondary school. Mm. That's interesting, though, because I'm almost hearing there the isolation, the lack of a blueprint, the lack mm. of a handbook or a manual mm. is mm-hmm. is engendering some autonomy and empowerment? Oh, that's an interesting way of putting it. Yes, I think the autonomy and the empowerment, but I don't think it was necessarily by choice, if you see what mm. I mean. Mm. It was more a sense of actually, we've got to do this. Mm. We've got to get through this. And I think it was more a sense of actually... Well, for me, I suppose maybe this is me reflecting mm. that actually for many head teachers, maybe finding there was even more within them around mm. courage and resilience mm. than perhaps they'd ever realised. And, mm. not, and, you know, 
both of us know is you know as being former head teachers that mm. you know the role takes you to places you've never Absolutely. ever been yeah. mm. and that actually it took them to a place where actually they they have had to dig deep but in digging deep they've discovered perhaps even more about themselves mm. yes yes it's interesting times mm. so having kind of just touched base with our immediate um sort of social context in relation to um, the COVID-19 um, crisis and um, lockdown. Yes. I want to go go um, into your own vocation. Mm -hmm. um, you're an executive coach, a company direct, director of Integrity mm -hmm. Coaching. And... Um, <clears throat> You work mainly with school leaders, head teachers, yeah. um, members of senior leadership teams. Yeah. Um, and I'm my own research um, mm -hmm. has come from working in that same context. Um, and the question that I have been exploring. Um, it's come from my own sort of sense of, and I'm going to use the term ethical stress here. Um, I don't know if it's a term you've come across before. I haven't, no, so please expand. Yeah, so yeah. I, I came across, it's, um, I'm actually going to be interviewing uh, Jane Fenton. She's a, right. um, she's a researcher, um, works at Dundee uh -huh. University. Okay, uh huh. Um, and she is a, was a social worker in the criminal justice system. Oh, right, okay, uh huh. And she felt that the sort of the managerialist kind of, um, kind of the reforms in the public sector as they impacted on social work created an environment of efficiency very strict top-down management um, in order to attain efficiency mm -hmm. and that this culture came into conflict with the values of mm -hmm. the care values of social workers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the sense that they were there to um, help rehabilitate yeah. help people manage mm -hmm. um, complex um, circumstances in order to mm. prevent them returning to criminal behavior mm. but that the environment was more punitive than that mm. and that created a conflict for social workers in that mm -hmm. their values were in conflict with the yeah. environment in which they worked mm -hmm. and if you like was in conflict with the handbook <laughs> mm. yeah. um, so she she used the term ethical stress mm. to describe that feeling of mm -hmm. what do I do? Do I follow mm. my own moral compass and do what I think mm. is right? Or do I do what is efficient and buy the book? So yeah. this is what she, she this mm. term really illuminated a lot for me. Mm. I saw ethical stress in the people I was coaching mm. and I experienced ethical stress myself mm -hmm. as a coach Mm -hmm. Because I thought, am I coaching people to help change the circumstances that trigger their stress? 
or am I coaching them to help them adapt so that they mm. can cope with the environment without mm. any pressure to change that environment? Mm. Does any of that resonate with you? Oh, goodness me, most definitely. So what's that woman's name again? I think that's great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jane Fenton. And just as an aside, I think it's really interesting because I'm, I'm doing a piece of work, well, around um, school leadership and vocation. And I've come across, and I can't remember his name, um, someone who works at the Tavistock in London. And he's mm -hmm. also from a social work background. Mm -hmm. And he's also got some real insights into education and the way in which educate, you know, head teachers have over-adapted almost yeah. to their environment. So just as an aside, really, I just find that really interesting that someone else has also had a social work background has mm. you know, recognised these particular issues that also mm. cross over in relation to schools. Yeah. So yes, this term ethical stress, Charmaine, it makes perfect sense to me. And yes, I see it day in and day out with the school leaders, particularly the heads that I work with. Mm. And I think it's a curious um, question that you have posed in terms of is there ethical stress for us as mm. coaches mm. when we are working with our senior school leaders in terms of how do we identify what the key issue is? And are we, I think what you're saying there is, are we colluding mm. with the system mm. if in our coaching, mm. what we're doing is enabling our school leaders to adapt to an environment that actually is not supportive of who they are mm. and the reasons as to why they came into the profession. So I think mm. it's a great question. Mm. So what are your thoughts on that? What are my thoughts The question on you just asked about collusion. Um, well, very much from, for myself as a, you know, as a coach, and I think, I'm sure it's probably the same for, for you as well, Charmaine, mm. but when I'm with my school leaders, there is, I think there is an, I call it an ache mm. or a disconnect. Mm. And when, and particularly ones, and actually I was gonna, that, no, that, that's not true. Cause I think I was gonna say particularly those who are self-aware, but I think any head teacher who puts themselves on a coaching journey, they are self-aware mm. and it's just a deeper journey mm. of, you know, developing their self-awareness as they journey with mm. us. Um, and the point that I was gonna make was that I think for most heads are very deep subconscious level they might not call it ethical stress mm. but they know mm. that there is a conflict between their work environment mm. who they are and how they feel they're being called to show up and mm. I see it as my role as a coach to help them to articulate that because mm. I think once they can articulate that and locate it within them then actually well my own experience would say it then makes it, you shine a light on that dissonance that they've been living mm. with, mm. that they've, they've kind of like normalized. Mm. And then it becomes slightly easier then to help them find their own way mm. to actually address it. I, I don't think in all of my practice, and I'm, you know, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking of all the heads that I work with, mm. that any of them, you know, said, yeah, they want to adapt in order to, you know, work in an environment that isn't aligned with them. Mm. But I think all of them would say, though, it is a struggle mm. to mm. find a way to truly show up as yourself when the environment that you're in 
has values that really are, are directly opposed to that and for which you could actually lose your job mm. Mm. if you don't work in alignment with their values so mm. does that make sense it, it, it does um a number of things kind of um stand out in what you say the the sort of the, the journey of self-awareness the shining the light on the dissonance um helping them to find their own way so those are all interesting um if you like metaphors or not just metaphors um descriptions of the process mm -hmm. um and i guess what what i am wondering is how your own values inform the things you shine a light on i mean one of one of the things that i'm 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 you know again it's my own thinking but also informed mm -hmm. by the reading is thinking mm -hmm. about where coach neutrality and mm -hmm. the way that we are trained to mm -hmm. suspend our own values in yeah. the process of coaching. Mm -hmm. But I think the choices you make in terms of the approaches mm -hmm. you use mm -hmm. with your clients and mm -hmm. the questions you might ask mm -hmm. them to help them reflect mm -hmm. and develop that self-awareness mm -hmm. don't come from nowhere they're not mm -hmm. values free mm -hmm. in a sense they're not neutral mm -hmm. um and it's a bit of a probably uh, I know, maybe i don't know misnomer is not the right word but it's mm -hmm. it's not the most useful way of describing um coaching as neutral because your values inform the questions you ask the things you shine a light on mm. so i'm interested in your thoughts about that about how your own ethical framework your own life experience your own experience as a head your philosophy as a coach do you see how that informs the way yeah. Gosh, there are a number of strands to that, Charmaine. So I'm hoping my response that if I forget any of them, you'll pull me back. Pull and say, back. Okay, you, know, mm. you know, there's also this I want to explore. Mm. But I think my first initial response to that is in terms of how do my values shape the kind of questions that I ask? I think what I hear in that is, well, Viv, how do you show up as a coach? Mm. How do you, um, you know, yeah, form that space with your, you know, with the client that enables them really, I suppose for you to be true to yourself in the coaching role, enables them to be true to yourself. And I think the one thing that I know I always carry with me into a coaching session is that I'm here to serve you. Mm. And really, I'm here to enable you to be your best self. Mm. And what that means for me, Viv Grant, is that I need to suspend any judgment. It means mm. that I need to really listen deeply. Mm. And it also means that I need to check in and that I don't make any assumptions. So I think one of the things, in I suppose in a sense, is a safeguard for me in terms of that I, you know, I, don't, I rarely feel that I'm 
you know, that when I'm with my heads, that I'm taking them down a route that is based upon what Viv Grant thinks is right, mm. is that I never go in with a set of questions. Like, this is, oh, so this is the issue that they're facing. Oh, mm. I have questions I'm going <laughs> to ask them. Mm. I never do that. I really pay attention deeply. And, it, and it's in the paying attention deeply, which is when goes back to the bit that you said, how do you shine a light? How mm. do you know? Mm. But it's in that listening deeply and, it, and it's in that not taking their first response. I mm. want to hear more. Mm. I want to hear more. I want to hear more. Ah, now I've heard it. Mm. Now I can see what the root is here. And very often we both know, Charmaine, mm. the root of a head teacher's or a client's dis-ease mm is not the surface response that they give you. Mm. And that's why, you know, very often they're in that place of dissonance because they have been trying to address at a surface level what they believe to be the issue. Mm. But when you get to the root of it, then it's my belief and it's my experience then that the coaching conversations, they take a different direction. And I think that, that for me, I would say, with the clients I work with, that is a direction towards wholeness. Mm. And when you can help a client go on that journey, then again, I'm not saying it's easy, it is still hard, but it can, I see it as bringing them into alignment with themselves, not necessarily into alignment with the system mm. Mm. and what is being asked of them, but if you mm. can walk in alignment with yourself, and you spoke earlier about your moral compass, mm. then it's almost like, you set out for yourself a map as to how you will cross this terrain, as to how you will navigate, you know, the values that aren't in alignment with yours, but in a way that is aligned with who you are. Again, mm. I'm going to stop. <laughs> I know there are other points you wanted to ask of me, but does that make, does that yeah. give some clarity around to your question? Uh, yes, because I think what I'm hearing there, the way that you feel that you're being true to yourself as a coach and enabling the exploration that the client needs to do is through not so much neutrality, but more non-judgmental, being non-judgmental. That seems to be the value that is the core value in that piece that you just spoke about? Yeah, I, I would say um, it's not being non-judgmental because again, we both know in the system, another reason as to why heads sometimes collude with it mm. is because every other conversation that they have, is. apart from with their coaches, mm. is one where they're going to be judged. Yeah, yeah. So they're not truthful, they're not honest. Mm. And it... And therefore, that just exaggerates any collusion or collusion. And then they kind of justify it to themselves, mm, mm. you know, in terms of their behaviours. Mm. So that creating a space that is non-judgmental mm. and allows heads to be more honest with themselves, then that's about healthy leadership of mm. self. Mm. And then healthy, a healthy understanding of how you engage with a system that for many isn't aligned with the very reasons as to why they stepped into the profession. Mm. Okay, so again, all of these things are so many layers. <laughs> yeah, I know. As we both know, <laughs> as coaches. 
Yes, and I think that brings me back to something else. It's about trust, the importance of building a sense of integrity. Yeah. That you can challenge somebody when you when you feel that you are serving them. Exactly. In making think, that challenge. Yeah, and I think also because it's about for us as coaches recognizing that you know school leaders carry a huge amount of emotional and psychological mm. vulnerability, but they hide it. Mm again, for all the reasons that we've spoken about earlier, because of the environment that they're in. Mm. And the only way they come to trust us as coaches is by us showing them that it's okay to be vulnerable. Mm. Because it's in that space where they can let down their guard mm. and they can see that, oh, we're not making a judgment. We're not actually giving them advice. We're not actually saying it's wrong or it's right. We're just allowing them to be then we know, you know, at a psychological level and emotional level, that creates shifts internally mm. for a person where they can show up more truly and then enter more fully into the conversation. Mm. And I think that's the important point, you know, going back to your original point about, you know, ethical stress and so forth. If I think if we can help people to show up, show up more fully in the conversation that we have with them as coaches, it then enables them to lead from a place of, you know, they're, they're more centred. Mm. You know, we can't change the externals. We can't change the environment. We can't change education system. You know, we're not ministers. We're not, mm. you know, employed by the DfE. We can't change that. However, we can enable individuals to change, the, you know, their internal responses to the world that they're having to live in mm. and to do to engage with a place that is more centered and as i said earlier aligned with who they are mm. Mm. so part of my concern is this interface mm. between that internal work and the external yeah so yeah. i made again part of my shift away from this performance mm. focus Mm -hmm. What I found was I was, when I came out of training, I was very drawn to cognitive behavioral coaching. Right. Uh huh. And that was my dominant sort of okay. my toolkit yeah. when I started coaching. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I found that when I was coaching, um, teaching professionals, yeah. it was a limited toolkit because yeah. the emotional content. Mm hmm and almost the psychological mm. stress, stresses mm -hmm. that they were bringing into the coaching space mm -hmm. required more of a compassion-based approach. Yeah, most definitely. And mm. the cognitive behavioral approach yeah. almost amplified the anxiety. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that was a significant shift for me. And I yeah. started to make use of um, a tool, mm. um, a psychological well-being model. Mm. Yeah. Created by um, a psychologist, Carol Riff. She created it in mm. the 90s. Yeah. And it's still used quite widely. Um, mm. And it's, it's a six-factor mm -hmm. model of psychological well-being. Now, I'm going to mm. see if I can test myself, see if I can remember all six. Mm -hmm. So it's um, self-acceptance, mm. autonomy, mm -hmm. environmental mastery, relationships, mm -hmm. self-development, 
and purpose in life. Mm -hmm. So those are the six elements. Mm -hmm. So there's a questionnaire, you fill it in, you get a score. Mm. And one of the things I discussed, the pattern if you like uh, obviously not everybody's profile is different but mm. there was a pattern self-acceptance was yeah. often very low mm. environmental mastery was often very low mm. um and on the whole the, the coaching process helped the people i was coaching to focus in on those aspects of their psychological resources, if you like, mm, mm-hmm. in relation to the issues they were bringing. Yeah. It provided, if you like, a, a, a series of questions that helped them to be mm. self-aware, not only mm-hmm. about how they managed themselves, managed and led mm. themselves mm-hmm. internally, but also how they managed relationships mm. and shaped their environment. Mm-hmm. So, for example, one of the teachers, she was a maths teacher, yeah. brought a real sense of distress about how she felt she was betraying her values as a teacher because yeah. when she was in the classroom, she, if mm-hmm. children weren't learning, she'd get frustrated, mm-hmm. she might shout at them. And the reason why yeah. she was like this was because she was overly conscious of her performance management targets. She was mainly mm-hmm. working with, in inverted commas, low-ability children and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you got more stressed because she didn't know how she could meet the targets blah 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 so I said okay I revisited her values what brought her into the profession was getting Mm. making progress in every lesson the only way to measure progress Mm. so we really opened Mm. up this piece Mm. Um, and that sense of her realigning herself with the reasons why she came into the profession exactly what you said Mm. was was a very important ground piece for the work that we did but one of the Mm. things that really surprised me and interested me is that after I finished coaching at the the last session Mm. um the last session of coaching she said that what she'd gained was a sense of confidence to challenge the things in the environment Mm. which were in line Mm. with her values Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. as a maths department they'd been put under pressure mm-hmm. to introduce setting in year yeah. seven and they managed to mm-hmm. hold it off yeah yeah and instead of just accepting it she mm. she rallied her department and they put a case for keeping it and they won great yeah um yeah. Mm. and i found that using this framework where people mm. reflect on not only mm. their internal conduct, if you like, their relationship with yeah. themselves, but also mm-hmm. their external conduct, how they show up in relation yeah. to their values, yeah. also has an impact in the mm. environment beyond themselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel that this there's an element there and a potential for social change, mm-hmm. if, you, mm-hmm. if you define that quite flexibly. Mm-hmm. I don't mean yeah. revolution when I say, mm-hmm. say that, obviously, mm-hmm. overturning the system. But there is that potential for change beyond the internal state of the individual. Yeah, and what I would add to that, though, is it starts with us, though. The internal change has to happen mm. before, before that. We, mm. You know, there's, there's a guy, particular person who I, whose work I follow a lot, is not a coach, he's, he's mm. actually a Franciscan monk called Richard <laughs> Raw. But, um, Sorry, say that name again. Richard Raw. 
Okay. But his cent he runs a centre in New Mexico, and it's called the Centre for Action and Con Contemplation, or Contemplation mm. and Action. I remember. But his key thing is that, you know, to be make a difference in the world, it has to start with us and our mm. internal narrative. Mm. How we are with ourselves, and you've probably f heard that phrase, you know, as within, as mm. without. Yes. And it's the sense that actually we have to attend, it's funny, I'm writing a blog on this at the moment, <laughs> we have to attend to ourselves because it's only by attending to ourselves mm. that we can then make a difference. It goes back to the point I was making earlier upon the world that we are in. And, and I know it's slightly, and you can choose to edit this bit out actually, Charmaine, but you know, one of the things I read this morning, I tried, I got, I've got to make, remind myself, Viv, do not read your Guardian app first thing in the morning, <laughs> but it was about Trump. Yeah. Um, you know, withdrawing funding from the mm. who? Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. Mm. But then that thing came to me again, as within, as without. Mm. We all know mm. he is a big man baby with a very, very <laughs> fragile ego. And it's being exhibited by the man's external behaviors. Mm. And, mm. you know, it's so evident for the world to see. So that's, I suppose, that's really amplifying the point. Mm. Mm. we must attend to our internal world because mm. it's only by getting a good understanding of that are we then able to, you know again it's that Gandhi phrase you know to be the change that we want to be in the world mm. Mm. so in a way you're what what you're saying is that there is that potential then it's not potential it's more than potential you're saying it's a prerequisite it's almost a prerequisite mm. for change mm. and that that's the work that coaches support is that mm empowering people to be who they are in the world not exactly yeah. Charmaine. it goes back to the point i made earlier that i think too many teachers too many heads they normalize that sense of dissonance mm. they normalize that sense of dis-ease mm. because the conversations that they have day to day do not enable them to illuminate that do not enable mm. them to understand internally what's going on mm. now if we can help them to see that's mm. not normal <laughs> that that really isn't a, what it means to be human and to be mm. alive and to be fully mm. connected mm. to the work to yourself and to mm. your work mm. then if we can hold on to that as being part of our purpose as coaches mm. then yeah we then help them to live in a better way mm. with you know within the system that they're in that just speaks volumes to your sense of who you are as a coach and your your the values that inform what you do mm. i'm just gonna step outside of the coaching mm. um realm for a moment and just ask yeah. you personally Viv mm. grant <laughs> mm. mm -hmm. what what is it about you as a person do you think that um that shows up in your work? I mean, is there, is there um, something about your background? I don't, I don't just mean in terms of your, you know, your role as an ex, your, the, the, your previous role as a, as a head teacher. Mm. I mean, you as a person, is there something about you that you bring to this work? Gosh, that's a deep question, Charmaine. <laughs> 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 How do you answer that question? I don't know. Well, I do know, but it makes me very emotional. Mm. Um, 
because I think I've been on a journey to get to Mm. this place where I Mm. am now Mm. and I think or what people say to me is that I suppose you show up as your true self Mm. that no, we all have ego. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's kind of like what gets us through the first half of life, isn't it? You know, we mm. have to build this structure that enables us, you know, to take on the role of head or whatever. Mm. But I do think there's something as you enter into the second half of life where you have to let that go mm. and not let it be your driving force. And I would hope what I bring to this work is just a sense of this is who I am, but in a sense of I really care mm-hmm. <laughs> and I really, this is, this feels like it is my calling, that it is my vocation and mm-hmm. I can't see myself doing anything else. I don't want to be doing anything else. But, you know, at the same time, as I think we both know, Charmaine, this work that we do, blinking well takes us to deeper places Mm. in ourselves. In the same way that we are helping our heads to uncover the best that they can be. Well, what I can only talk personally, what Mm. I am finding is that this work and where my interests take me Oh, goodness me. It's taken me to look at stuff that I thought I'd addressed when I was 25. <laughs> oh, when I was quite say. I was like, no, Viv, sorry. It's still there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I kind of like find that sometimes the things I'm helping my head to address in terms of their journey towards wholeness and true alignment, they're, they're little threads within myself mm-hmm. that I'm having to address. And so mm-hmm. maybe there's something that heads kind of like see and that actually this woman, she's not perfect. (laughs) Even though I don't share with them, you know, what I'm going through, Mm, but mm. it's kind of like a sense of, I suppose, yeah, she's human. Yeah, maybe that's it. I'm I'm Mm. human. (laughs) Mm. Mm. And we're all a work in progress. Exactly. Yeah. Being able to bring that humanity is is important though, isn't it? Mm. To be vulnerable Mm. yourself in the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that is key for us as coaches, because again, I would hope that we are showing up in the system in the world that is so very different from your school improvement advisor, mm. your Ofsted, mm. exactly. whatever, who are all going in with ego, who are all mm. going in they've got something to protect, who are all going mm. in with agenda. And I would hope that we're a, you know, a bit of a breath of fresh air, mm. right, saying no. Mm. yeah um we want to serve and support you too in your school as well but no ego don't play a part of this <laughs> no personal no, agendas don't absolutely play a part. i i mm. one of the things i've learned to do is to sit compassionately in this in the presence of tears because yeah. so many of my clients yeah. come and cry yeah male and female yes and you just have to be quiet and let them let them yeah yeah and it goes back to that whole thing and you think for how many of them they've been Mm. carrying around this Mm. emotional weight Mm. Mm. pushing it down pushing it down so i've got to push through the day i've got to survive i've got to put on this face of being strong and yet Mm. in the presence of another 
they can just let go and mm. just be. Mm. And I, and I, get, I, I'm not sure why that came to my mind. I suppose what mm. that speaks to is the sense of our vulnerability to all that emotion mm. um, and how we manage all yeah. of that. Because yeah. I think it's really important we can allow that space oh. for them to bring all that. Most, def- most but definitely. But then we carry that. We can carry that mm. with us. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Really important. Yeah. That self-care. Yeah. Mm. We can't care for mm. others if we're not able to care. Exactly. For ourselves. Yeah, and I think there's something about for us as coaches, you know, allowing that space. I think it's because if we can create the space within ourselves, mm. then it's okay. We create, you know psychologically then the space is created for that individual they almost mm. intuit they almost know exactly it's okay yeah it's i think okay. it's so important what you just said it isn't about a, it's not about rules is it? it's not that there's a template you can follow to create Mm-mm. this Mm-mm. this space you mm. have to bring an integrity mm. something in you Mm-mm. where whereby it's it's almost an unspoken message yeah. that you transmit yeah. to the person that mm. it's okay yes. just words on its own doesn't do mm. that no in terms mm. of how messages are communicated the majority mm. is through our body That's language right. yeah yeah. <gasps> yeah 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 we're sending out signals the whole, the whole time, time. Mm. Mm. Right, so I'm now looking at the time. It's 5 to mm-hmm. 11. So I'm going to ask my roundup question. Okay. Um, uh-huh. So the name of the podcast is Speak Up, Speak Out, Ethics Matter. Yeah, yeah. And we've gone around quite a lot of subjects. Mm-hmm. But my last yeah. question to all my interviewees is, yeah. um, what are the things you feel is important to speak up and speak out about today? Um, I think... Oh, goodness me. Oh, Charmaine. I I can't answer it, you know, really sort of um, neatly. Because I think our world has so changed. Mm. The world that we're living in now is so different from what it was in January. Mm. (laughs) What it was in February. Mm. And I feel really um, quite overwhelmed. I think it's been creeping up on me gradually. Uh, and partly because I, I contracted COVID-19 at the start of March. Um, okay. So I'm still in this space of actually, oh, Viv, you came through that. Mm. What's been a lesson for you? What are the parallels in terms of how you were showing up in the world? Mm. So at this moment in time, in terms of, you know, speak up and speak out, I think we all are being called to speak up and speak out about our truths mm-hmm. and what we hold to be dear because things are going to be different post this. Mm-hmm. And I suppose it's who, how, yeah, how are we going to show up in a way, you know, we're all being called to, I suppose, respond to life differently now, but how is being different now going to impact on us all inhabiting a better world mm. after. And I mm. think that's what I would say at this present point in time. It comes, as I say, it comes from a very personal place mm. of, you know, yeah, having 
got better when so many around us are dying mm. and I just find the figure phenomenal and I can't quite hold that in my head mm. it's just too big mm. and I'm getting quite emotional now so I'm gonna have to stop because um it's yeah mm. I think we're all being asked to call you know speak up speak out and we can't suppress the maybe the questions that are arising from within us mm. as a result of the world that we find ourselves in today mm. and I'm gonna pause thank you very much yeah Okay, I'm going to stop recording. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Speak Up, Speak Out, the Ethics Matter podcast. Don't leave after listening without posting a rave review. Share the episode, give feedback on my social feed and visit the website. Keep listening. Keep listening.